we began a series last week entitled this, It's Personal. And for the next five weeks, this is, we began it last week, so for six weeks, what we are doing is we are looking at the amazing reality that God has given you and me if I've placed my trust in Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, and resurrection that was done on my behalf, that if I've placed my trust in that this morning, if that's who I am, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the amazing privilege that I have today to say this, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's personal. And not personal in the sense of private, right? That's what oftentimes we can think of, like when I ask you a question, and and, or someone asks you a question, and you might say to yourself, depending on the question, well, that's personal, like, that's private. It's not what I mean by personal. Personal in the sense of possession. Like it's mine. I've been given it. And, and those of us who have been maybe saved for quite a few years, and whether that's 5 or 10 or 20 or 30, I hope that regardless of where you're at in that spectrum, that the reality that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ never gets old. Do you rejoice in that? that you relish that, that you reflect in that. And so what we're doing this morning is going, and what we're doing for the next five weeks is just going to different passages of Scripture and looking at these passages of Scriptures to look at the blessings that God has given you and me through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week we kicked it off by looking at this reality in Jeremiah 9 that Jesus Christ is my boast. And how often I can boast in a lot of other things. I can find myself boasting in my status and find my identity in that, right? And I can boast in that or I can boast in my strength and boast in my achievements and have my identity wrapped up in in what I've done or maybe what I haven't done. And my boast can be in my status, my strength, or it could also be in my stuff, right? What I've accumulated and my identity can be wrapped up in that and my security can be wrapped up in that. But what we looked at last week is how for a follower of Jesus Christ, our boast should not be in our status or our strength or our stuff, but our boast should be in Jesus Christ, in his status for me, in his strength given to me, in his stuff that he has blessed me with as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning... I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll read that here in a few minutes. But I need some help from the audience. So if I've talked to you before the service, I want you to come up right now. So so give a hand for these guys who are about to come on up. Um, Man, that was pretty weak. Like, just think if I asked you to come on up. All right, all right, let's get a hand for these guys. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. There we go. So Wayne, I want to have you stand over here. And uh, Noah, I'm going to have you stand right there, and then um, you're going to be right back here, Tom, all right? So you're going to be out of the picture just for a second. I told these guys I wasn't going to have them say anything, and I wasn't going to make them look dumb, all right? But this morning, we're going to talk about a foundational concept this morning, about what Jesus Christ has given us through a personal relationship with Christ. You know, Romans 5 says this, that by one man's sin... 
death passed upon all men so that all have sinned. So we go all the way back to Genesis 3 and see that Adam and Eve committed sin and sin passed to all men. So as you don't need to be reminded of this morning, you're a sinner. Do I need to convince anybody of that this morning? I'm, I'm sure I don't. So we see in the scriptures, according to Romans 5, that, that we are sinful. But here's another reality, and we see that all over the Old Testament and New Testament. I think of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah gets a glimpse into heaven and, and how the angels are flying around the throne of God and they're screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So we know that God is holy. So Wayne's not God. Can I just say that, right? Do I need to look at your wife? No, I didn't think so. But Wayne is going to picture God. And we know that God is holy, and we know that man, that we, are not. And so there's this massive gap between myself in my sin and God's holiness. I mean, Romans 5 says that. It says it in verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see in verse 16 that Paul says in Romans 5 that there is, even though sin passed upon all men through one man's sin, so also through a free gift of one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, we no longer can have condemnation, but we can actually be justified. We can be declared innocent. So we know when we look at the scriptures that what Jesus did, what God did, it says, I cannot tolerate sin. I cannot have a relationship with someone who is sinful. So I love mankind enough that I'm going to send God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And what he is going to do, put out your arms. Can you guys hold hands? Right, you're still manly. He bridged the gap. That's what Jesus Christ did. So he came and did for me what I couldn't do. He bridged a gap. Another word for that is mediator. That word mediator actually means a go-between, a reconciler. So God reconciled me, not because of who I am or what I've done or my potential or what I could do, but he did that for me through Jesus Christ. So this morning, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I've placed my trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection for my sin, I can have a relationship with a holy God, not because of me and what I've done, but because Jesus Christ is my go-between. You get that? All right, great job, guys. You can have a seat. So I want you... Good job. I didn't even need to tell you to do that. 1 Timothy 5, 6, 5, 5, 6 says it this way. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. See, the title of this message this morning is this. It's simple. Last week we looked at what our boast is. Here's the title for this message. My mediator. My mediator. Would you turn to, you should already be in Hebrews 9, 15 through 28. Before I read it, here's what I want you to understand today. Here's what I want you to walk out with today. And some of you may be here this morning, 
And if you were honest with yourself and I asked you this question, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Like if I asked you, like, what are you relying on to have a personal relationship with God? What are you relying on to know that when you pass from this life to the next, you'll be in the presence of God and Jesus Christ for all of eternity? And I wonder if there's someone in here or others in here that would say, well, I'm hoping that it's the good that I've done. And if it's anything other than you are saying to yourself, man, I can say that this morning, that I have that assurance because I've placed my trust not in myself but in what Jesus Christ has done for you. If that's not you, man, I'm glad you're here today. I want you to listen to what God has to say to you in his word this morning. And if you are here and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whether that's one year, whether that's six months, whether that's one month, whether that was yesterday, whether that's 30 years ago, I want you to understand the blessing of this statement. I want us to walk out of here with this ingrained in our mind. It's this phrase, I can't, but Jesus did. Can you say that with me? I can't, but Jesus did. I think that phrase encompasses the idea of a mediator. That there's no way in and of myself that I can bridge the gap between myself and a holy God. But praise God that God loved me enough to send Jesus Christ to be my go-between, to be my reconciler, to bridge that gap. So this morning when I walk out of here, I ought to be praising and every day that I wake up to be able to say, man, I can, I couldn't. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Look at Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, he is the mediator of, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. Now here's what you have to understand about the book of Hebrews. That the writer of Hebrews is writing this, this is going to come as a shocker to Hebrews, to Jewish people. So he's writing this book to Jewish people to get across the idea that Jesus Christ is superior to the old way of thinking, to the old covenant, to the Mosaic law. That's the writer of Hebrews' goal. That's his, that's his theme is to drive home that reality that Jesus Christ is superior to what the Jews were relying in in the Old Testament Mosaic Law. And so the writer of Hebrews all throughout the book is driving home that idea and proving that reality. And so if I want you to walk out of this idea with this phrase, I can't but Jesus did, then we need to answer this question. And we're going to answer it by walking through this text. What has Jesus done for me as my mediator? Like, why should I rejoice and reflect and relish in the reality of what I've been given in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ when I understand that Jesus is my mediator? And I want to give you four things this morning. Four things this morning. So let's keep reading in verse, in verse 15. It says, since a death occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, he, it's Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. Here's the first thing that Jesus did for you and me as my mediator this morning. 
He purchased for me what I could never pay for. He purchased for you what you could never pay for. Remember when I had the guys up here? We have sinful man, we have a holy God, and there's no way to bridge that gap between my sin and God's holiness. So Jesus Christ came, and so when the writer of Hebrews says, he, Jesus, is the mediator, the go-between, the reconciler of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions or sins committed under the first covenant. So when the writer of Hebrews says old covenant, here's what he means. The covenant that God established with, his, with the people of Israel, which required obedience to the Old Testament law. Like we know that, right? So God gave them the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law in the book of Exodus, and they were to obey that law. And by obeying that law, they were showing that they were God's people. Through sacrificial systems, from ceremonial things, from celebrations, and they were called to be obedient to that. We don't have time this morning, but if you turn to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, God promises a new covenant through Jeremiah's words. And it says in Jeremiah 31, 34, that God says, my people cannot obey that old covenant, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a new covenant, and they will know me, and they will be my people. Speaking right here of what Jesus Christ has done. See, here's the new covenant. Here's how I've defined it. The covenant that God made to save his people from their sins through the obedience of Christ. Listen to me. Jesus purchased for you what you could never receive on your own. As I was preparing for this this week, I thought to myself, man, how many times have I heard that? I trusted Christ when I was five years old. I'm 40 now. 35 years I've been a follower of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you hear here this morning and you're like, it's just a fact, right? Okay, yeah, I know that. Jesus purchased for me what I could never pay for. Does it excite you anymore? Does it give you joy anymore? To give you hope. Because if that's the case, if, if it's just I've heard this, I know this, I, this is all what I've heard before, I wonder this morning, is it personal? Is it personal? Is it personal in the sense that, man, this is where my joy, my motivation, my hope, what it stems from is this reality that praise God in verse 15 that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. That he purchased for me what I couldn't pay for. And it's interesting that the analogy that, G, that, that the writer of Hebrew gives in verses 16 and 17. Because he makes reference to a will. Everybody know what a, knows what a will is, right? Look at what it says in verse 16. For He gives this illustration. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So when a will is involved, the person needs to, you, me, I've written a will, you've probably written a will, and you're the one that needs to write it, but it only becomes effective if you die, right? 
I joke all the time, I'm worth way more dead than I am alive. Way more. And that should not cause you guys or ladies to slip with one eye open, like, right? But, but that's the reality for me. It's probably the reality for most of us. Man, I'm worth way more dead than I am alive. But here's the reality. Lori doesn't get anything of my policy, and that will doesn't get executed until I die. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is God per, God's design for us all the way back in the Garden of Eden was having a relationship with him, to have communion with him, to be with him forever, to have that beautiful communion with his creation. But unfortunately, we sinned and we made that separation between God and ourselves. And so what was necessary for us to benefit from what God designed us to experience is someone had to die so that we could receive those things. And that's the illustration that he's giving. Someone had to die so that we could receive the benefits of the will. And that was Jesus. It was Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor. So that, for what purpose? So that you by his poverty might become rich. Did you get this today? You're, you're rich. I'm rich. I'm eternally rich. Not because of me. but Because Jesus left his home in heaven and he became poor. So that you and I could become rich. He purchased for me what I could never pay. He's my mediator. Here's the second thing. Look at what it says in verses 18 through 24. It says, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. So that first covenant that was made through Moses, that was, inaug- that was inaugurated with blood. Verse 19, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people... He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself, so the book of the law, and all the people. Verse 20 saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So let's put ourselves, can you imagine living in Old Testament times and being an Israelite or being someone who believed that that Yahweh was the one true God and having to make sacrifices for your sins? So it was about a thousand years that the old that took place where the old covenant was instituted. And think about how many sacrifices were made over that thousand years. I was reading, I thought this was interesting, that that if you sacrificed a bull, it spilled about a gallon or two of blood. And if it was a goat, a quart. And so just think about all that blood and the gruesomeness of it and the stench of it and all of that. And during the Passover, it was even interesting that they constructed a, a trough that went from the temple where they made the sacrifice all the way down to the Kidron Valley, which was many miles. And that trough was constructed so that the blood would run from the temple, from the sacrifices, all the way down to the Kidron Valley where it would drain out. I mean, this was a bloody thing. 
It was a gruesome thing. It was an ugly thing. But the purpose was that God, well, why God instituted it is because he wanted the people of Israel that every time I made a sacrifice, that I understood the gruesomeness of my sin. I understood that sin demands payment, that sin demands death, that I can't pay for that on my own. So something else has to be in my place. And over and over and over again, I had to do that. Someone had to do that. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Every year. It wasn't that he made one sacrifice and then they were done. Over and over and over and over and over again. But look at what the second part of verse 22 says. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites... It was necessary. But the heavenly things themselves were a the better sacrifice than these. So it was always to point forward. It was always to point forward to what Jesus was going to do. And the beautiful thing is when Jesus Christ is on the cross and he says it is finished, there's a reason why he says those words. Because it says in verse 24, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. Like everything that was instituted in the Old Testament was a symbolic thing of what Jesus Christ was going to do. But Jesus didn't enter into, it says, a place made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. I love that. You need to underline that. Circle this phrase, on our behalf. You ought to even write above that word, our, your name. Like Christ has entered now to appear in the presence of God on Johnny's behalf, on your behalf. So here's the second thing that I see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus has done as my mediator, man, that I need to relish, I need to rejoice, and I need to celebrate. Not just that he purchased for me what I could never pay for, but here's the second thing. He purified me with what he alone could provide. He made you pure. He made me pure through what he did on my behalf. Let's get that this morning. Let's rejoice in that this morning, whether we've been saved for 30 years or three days. That he purified me with what he alone could provide. Think about this. Do you remember? Some of you have little kids. Our kids are a little bit older, but I remember this all the time. You remember bath time? Some of you are like, yes, it was last night or this morning. Remember that with your little kids? And remember when they were like, Man, Dad, I can wash myself. And you're like, I can't wait till that day, right? And do you remember the first time you gave them a try? Maybe this is true in my house. Remember that first time that you do? And they go and they, they think they're hot stuff. They think they're big stuff. And they go and they wash themselves. And then all of a sudden, like, you're putting them to bed and you're like, and you smell their hair and it absolutely reeks. Did you wash your hair? No, I just played with the men in the tub for 30 minutes. Right? Remember those days? Some of us longer than others. So that little child, as much as they want to, what happens? You, you find themselves that unless you're the one that's washing them, you know that they're probably not going to be clean. 
And even more so, even if they are clean, guess what? They're going to have to take another bath, another shower. Even if you adults, I'm going to make an obvious statement here, even if you took a shower this morning, hopefully you understand you're going to need to take one tomorrow. Because you're going to get dirty again. So you know I have to go in the shower to be made clean, but at the same time you know I'm going to have to do it again. That's what the children of Israel lived with every single year, every single time they sinned. I'm going to have to get clean again. And what we see in verses 18 through 24, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is the beauty and understanding that when Jesus lived perfection, just like what was required is that spotless lamb or that goat that was out without imperfections or that bull that was without imperfections or that dove, depending on how much money you made, whatever it was that you brought, that you brought to be sacrificed, that Jesus lived perfection for me because God required perfection and he died on the cross for my sins so that when he said it was finished so when he rose again from the grave and he sat down at the right hand of the father Hebrews 12 2 he purified me he purified you so that when God sees me right now even as I speak, in spite of my sinfulness, in spite of the ways that I fail, in spite of the ways that you fail, if you're a child of God, God sees you right now as pure. As pure. But it's not because of you, but it's because of Jesus Christ. He's your mediator. He's your go-between. He's your reconciler. So God sees me through Jesus Christ's perfection. I don't know about you, but you ought to be getting excited by now. Uh, I'm positionally clean. Now we know in Ephesians 4 that because I'm positionally clean, I ought to practice that. That ought to motivate me to live a life that is dying to my old ways and I'm putting on the new man. 1 John 3, 3 says this, everyone who hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. Say this with me again. I can't, but Jesus did. Say that. I can't, but Jesus did. See, Jesus is my mediator. He purchased for me what I could never pay for. He purified me with what he alone could provide. Here's the third thing. Look at verses 26 and 27. Let me read verse 24 just to get us running into verse 25. It says, For Christ entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the holy places every year with blood not his own. We talked about that. So Jesus didn't, when he said it was finished, he didn't say it's finished until I got to do it again, didn't say that. If you look at your Bible, in the Gospels, it is finished, and then there's a beautiful thing there. There's a tiny little dot called a period. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, he doesn't need to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest did in the Old Testament, verse 26, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. I mean, if that was the case, every time I sin, Jesus would have to die again and die again and die again. But that's not the case. But it says, Buzz, but as it is, 
He has appeared once for all. That's another phrase you need to circle, once for all. You thankful for that? Once for all. One time. Never again. So that every person from the moment of when this happened, when Jesus said it is finished, throughout the future, into the future, that every person who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died once for all for their sins. He doesn't need to die again. Doesn't need to die again. He appeared once for all. What does it say? At the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Here's the third thing. Jesus Christ, as my meteor, has pronounced me innocent in God's presence. That ought to just like blow your mind. The reality that Jesus speaks righteousness for me. Even when I'm not righteous. Even when I sin. Even as we were driving here, even if you were driving here this morning and you got in a massive argument with your spouse, or you just flew off the handle to your kids and you sinned in anger, Jesus speaks righteousness for you. You're declared innocent in God's presence. And that's not because of you, that's not because of me, it's because of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, 10 says this. If you want to write this next to verses 25 through 27 in your Bible, if you want to turn there, I encourage you to. But I'm going to read it right now. Revelation 12, 10 says this. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Like it's happened. Look at this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Like, how awesome is that? Like the enemy that accuses you and says, did you just see what they did last night? You see that, God? The enemy, the accuser, has been thrown down. Look at what he does. Who accuses them, you know who them is? If you placed your faith and trust in Christ, that's you and that's me. Because the accuser accuses them day and night before our God. Like, let's just imagine this, even though we don't know exactly what this looks like. That Satan, the enemy, is accusing you night and day. Did you see what they did here? Did you see what they did here? Did you see what, they, what he said there? Did you see what she said there? Did you see what they did last night? And here's the amazing thing. And this is just what I picture in my mind, is Jesus gets up and says, yeah, but did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? See, the only reason that I can sing today, the only reason that I can have hope today, the only reason that I can have joy today is because Jesus Christ is my mediator. He has declared me, pronounced me innocent in God's presence. And the beautiful thing is, is that if you want a picture in your life that Jesus takes your life and all the sin that you've committed, and when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, he writes in crimson letters across your life, forgiven. Forgiven. That's why Romans 8 says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? 
No one can. Why? Not because of you, not because of me, but because Jesus, my mediator, has pronounced me innocent in God's presence. You rejoicing in that today? And here's the last thing. Look at what it ends in verse 28. It says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, this is awesome, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here's the last thing that Jesus did for me that I see in this passage of scripture. He has promised me that he has an eternal plan. Don't you love it when someone says to you when there's a problem, I got a plan. How many of you are planners in this room? Raise your hand and be proud about it. You're a planner. I raise my hand. I like to have a plan. And that can be dangerous sometimes. But here's what I see in that passage of scripture. That no matter how bad this world seems, I have a promise that God has an eternal plan. That even when I watched the news last night and seeing once again this, this, this tragedy happening in London and thinking to myself, this is like seeing it over and over and over again and almost becoming numb to it. The hope is, is that I have a promise that God has an eternal plan. That even though sin seems to be ruling and reigning and winning the day, I look at this passage of scripture in Romans 9, or, or Hebrews 9, 28, and it says, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for him. Can you turn your Bibles to Revelation 21? Really easy to find, last book of the Bible. Let me show you his plan. It says in verse 1, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No more crying, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tragedy, no more disappointment, no more discouragement. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage It's you and me if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here's our heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. He's got a plan. And when I look at this idea in Hebrews 9 of Jesus being my mediator, I have this amazing promise that Jesus has an eternal plan. He's got an eternal plan. He's coming back. 
as we looked at last week, we're talking about, man, what's my boast? Man, he's got an eternal plan. That I'm his son, I'm his daughter. He's preparing a place for me. I'm going to dwell with him forever. I will rule and reign with him, as 2 Timothy says. Turn to one more passage of scripture. I know I lied. Hebrews 4. It's the last one, I promise. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. See, we know this passage, right? You're probably familiar with this passage. But hopefully this morning you got a better understanding, or maybe some of you, you were reminded once again, hopefully. Hopefully something has happened in your heart this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're like, man, when's the last time I rejoiced in the reality that Jesus is my mediator, that he purchased for me what I could never pay, that he purified me with what he alone could provide, that he pronounced me innocent in his presence, that God has promised me through Jesus Christ he has an eternal plan. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself, that I walk out every single day. I wake up in the morning and I say, Jesus, I can't, but I'm thankful you did. See, when you understand that, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 means a whole lot more. Look at what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Like what did we say in 2 Corinthians 8? He became poor so that I became rich, so that I could become rich. He put on human flesh to know what pain's like. He walked this earth to know what betrayal's like. He walked this earth and knew what disappointment was like. He knew what it meant to be sad. He knew what it meant to hurt. He knew what it meant to suffer loss. He was the perfect high priest. He was the perfect mediator. The go-between, the reconciler, because he lived a perfect life for me so that he could identify with every single thing that I go through today. He's able to sympathize with my weaknesses. But look at this. And this is why Jesus Christ is my mediator, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, key phrase, yet without sin. So what's my response this morning? Like how do I live my life as a follower of Jesus Christ, understanding Jesus is my mediator, understanding that's a blessing by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then I can draw with confidence, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that I may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That I can go to God this morning, not fearful, not wondering, will he hear me, will he not hear me? But I can go to God this morning in confidence because I know what? He's declared me innocent. He's purchased for me what I couldn't pay for. He has a plan. He's purified me through Jesus Christ. That's why many people, and you may not even, you maybe not even realize why you do it. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Don't have to pray that way. But the beautiful thing about ending your prayers that way is it ought to be a reminder that God, the only way that I can pray to you is because of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name that I have a relationship with a holy God. 
that today that I can walk out of these doors, regardless of how difficult my circumstances are, and I can remind myself, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're my mediator. Let me just give you these things real quick. It says, let's draw with confidence to the throne of grace, knowing that we'll receive help in time of need. I can go to God confidently knowing this. He accepts me. Accepts me. I'm a son and daughter through Jesus Christ. He loves me. He loves you. He knows me. He knows me better than I know myself. He created me. And aren't you glad he has a plan for you? He's a plan for me. Every one of us. He has a plan for every one of our lives. And all of those things are only because of Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus' blood speaks a better word in your life. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what circumstances, regardless if you've come in here this morning trusting in yourself and believing that it's the good that you do, and hopefully it outweighs the bad that you do when you stand before God one day, Jesus' blood speaks a better word for you. He's your mediator. And it's better than all the empty claims that we'll ever hear on this earth of what can give me happiness and what can give me joy and what can give me fulfillment and what can give me contentment. No, no, no. Jesus being my mediator, that's what it is. I can't, but Jesus did.